Hey, the guy with the milk in the uh, juice bill. Orange can, can juice. You, that's like his best stuff. Can you get him on your new film? <laughs> David, like, where's that guy? You know, because it's too good. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> All right, everybody. Yeah. That sound can only mean one thing, right? (laughs) That's right. It's time for one fucking hour. Uh, And uh, I'm Evan Husney, uh, the host, uh, co-host, whatever I am. Uh, Joined, of course, to my left, uh, we got Tom Fitzgerald. Tom, what's up? Hey, everybody. Happy summertime. All right. And... uh, it's another week off for Marcus. Uh, he's not here, so you know what that means. Uh, reigning uh, one fucking hour champion returns. Rami Bennett, welcome back to the show. How's it going? Thank you, guys. Thank you for having hey. me. Yeah. Glad to have you back uh, for this one. Uh, this fucking hour, episode 31, guys. Uh, very excited that wow. we're getting back into the horror genre. genre. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a minute. It really has. What, what was the last one? I can't even remember. Ah, uh, t- I don't. I don't know. It's, Texas Chainsaw, Sledgehammer. Anyway, Sledgehammer it's been, probably. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. So, getting back into it here with this one, uh, David Cronenberg's our first David Cronenberg film, by the way, uh, who's also uh, obviously in the in the trades these days for his uh, latest uh, film, uh, Crimes of the Future, which is in release now. So it's kind of apropos that we're doing this. But David Cronenberg's yeah. 1979 film, The Brood. So the brood, the brood. <laughs> <laughs> that is how we're going to refer to it the whole time. Sure. That sounds yeah. good. All right. I'm about to start that clock right now. Oh, God. Bing, bing, bing. Here we go. All right. <clears throat> little, little, uh, here's some, here's some background on the film for the people. Uh, David Cronenberg's 1979 body horror divorce allegory tells the story of a father fighting to gain custody over his five-year-old daughter who is living with her mother at a remote experimental psychotherapy institute run by a radical therapist played brilliantly by Oliver Reed. Primary colored snowsuit clad manifestations of childhood trauma are the iconic motif that wreak havoc in Da Brood. Which is both, <laughs> which is both monster movie and cautionary tale against the dangers of cult-like self-help fads that were all the rage in the 1970s that exploited trauma for financial gain. Uh, so that, so so that's the film. But Tom, this movie, uh, in one way or another, made uh, a, a somewhat of an impression, I guess, on you as a as a as a young child. Isn't that isn't that right? As a tot, yeah. As a uh, I wasn't much older. Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, I was I was a little older than what Candy would be in the film, but um, what would happen to me was I'd stay up a little too late and watch like SCTV, for instance. Um, <laughs> so in the summer, I'd stay up a little too late. It'd be like 12.30, 12.45 a.m. on Friday. And once in a while, this was like the third big example, a really gnarly TV spot would come on. And I didn't know Cronenberg. I was a kid, you know, a little kid. And I was like, I don't know Cronenberg. I don't know The Brood. But it just comes on. And, you know, that's what's so great about uh uh, TV spots are so short. They're so punchy. Right. And it's on right. YouTube, the one I'm talking about. But anyway, it happens. I'm disoriented. What the hell is this? It looks awful. And there's a child in peril, which was a rarish thing in horror then. And it's the one shot of uh, Candy's 
trying to keep her, you know, sisters uh, from coming through the door and their bloody little hands are gripping her and pulling on her because they were opening in that weird door. And I was just like, dude. And it was, was really unnerving. It was the middle of the night. And I just, I remember just thinking, I'm acclimated to horror. I have some idea. I've heard of Night of the Living Dead. But I'm like, what are they up to these days? I remember that's kind of what I was saying. I was like, what the fuck is going on with horror movies now? Is that what a horror movie is now? Like <laughs> a, a movie that's all about like imperiled seven-year-olds, like being torn apart by mm. other seven-year-olds. So yeah, I didn't forget it. I didn't see the film though until I was like a teenager. And it's great. It's awesome. Right. But, and we could talk. We'll talk more about the film. But just that left a big impression on that was your childhood haunt. And Ramy, you That's also were exposed to this movie at an age that was probably not appropriate for what the producers intended. Well, I, I was really young. I was probably around the same age. I was like 10, probably hmm. around 10. And it was a sleepover, which was my sister and I were having a sleepover with like family friends. And um, we went to Kim's video on St. Mark's. Nice. And we Shout got out. to pick out a video and uh, it was our, it was like our friend Mike who was older than us and we were staying at his house at him and his wife's house and he was like oh dude you got to check out the brood it's awesome and we're like the brood kids, you know? yeah, yeah and we got like pop and shit and uh i i just as i being that young it's like you identify i mean i identified so much with the candy character yeah. it's like sure. the little the little blonde girl um and the images of those little creatures and the snowsuits and it just blew my mind like the yeah, the, yeah. the visuals of that like just burned into my brain yeah and mm. those aesthetics like we were talking about earlier those aesthetics like have never left me like just that just the the um the little outfits, the suits the suits and then the sleepy pajamas the sleepy with the hoods the pointy the hood pajamas. Pajamas. pajamas two different colors yes two different colors it must I'm, denote something i always figured they denoted something and i just i love like that the the light kind of pastelly like it's the baby blue the baby yellow and mm. there's something so innocent but so insidious and, and, and terrifying and so i think and the, the blonde hair there's just something that aesthetic always was really, I don't know, just spoke to me. It's like the the demonic, blonde, demonic, pastel terror. All but were you, them. but 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 were you like terrified by this movie, seeing it at a young age and being exposed well, like, to all the I, I, trauma? I remember just being like blown away, like what the fuck. But I also was like, I was into it. I was super into it. Right. Yeah. And, and then and then when I got older, I watched it again and again, and it's always just been to me like kind of one of those perfect movies. Yeah, for me. It's it's not quite as I I didn't see it young. I probably saw it well into my teens on DVD, you know. But it was definitely uh, like getting into DVD. horror films, DVD. But like getting into horror movies and uh, specifically Cronenberg movies. All I can really remember, I I just remember that I'd seen a, a few of his other films around this time, but none of them had the impact that The Brood did. And I think mm. one of the main reasons for that is that, and I'm sure it's something we're going to talk a lot about tonight, is that you can just feel with this movie that it's so, like, it's his most personal. You know, there's so much anguish, uh, personal yeah. rage in this movie coming from him, where a lot of his other movies are just really cool, crazy, wild concepts. But like this movie, like whoa! Especially we'll talk about the ending, and we'll talk about how heavy that is. This movie's heavy. Like it's hor it's scary because there's, right. there's there's crazy set pieces and the little monsters and there's there's freaky stuff happening. But how heavy this movie is dramatically is what's really cool. But I will yeah. say real fast is that watching this movie is 
and probably a few of his others was was my introduction to Canada in a lot of ways. Like oh, I didn't really I didn't really have a sense of Canada much uh, as a probably 14 right. 15 year old kid even though I was growing up in Minnesota. So it's like in this movie I remember specifically the first time I watched this movie when Art Hindle's character is talking about his father-in-law uh, and, and he's like, oh yeah, he lives out way out in Halifax. You know, I'm like, where the fuck is Halifax? You know? And now it just opened yeah. this, it opened my world that there's, yeah. oh, there's a whole other fucking alternate universe uh, living, living yeah. above us, you know, in this, in this he's movie. He's a gateway drug to, to Mondo Canada for <laughs> yes. a lot of people. I agree yeah. with you. Yeah. yeah I feel yeah. the same way. <laughs> I, actually, it's two things for me. It's him and SCTV. Right. It's like, it's like the same but wrong. It's like America, but it's like kind of off, and it's just so. Uh, That's what just, it is. It, I love it. It's just very, I just cannot get enough of that. Um, and so, um, yeah, there's there's something. Yeah, we, about, can, we can talk about that. Yeah, there's there's more. something about like that entry point into Canada with this stuff, dude. I'm sure we'll talk about it, but like, yeah, it is this kind of alternate version of America, but there's no reference points you know at all like it, it's crazy and like um like you know they didn't grow up with mtv they didn't grow up with the same things we did so it's just all it's like alternate culture but at the same yeah, time they also they also like a lot of the films are like kind of this had this mundane quality you know about examining the mundane in canada that's just i don't know it's a you unique know, flavor that these films weird, have yeah i, almost feel I know like what you this mean is, this sets itself apart from a lot of those canadian films because you know like those canadian films like have that like bizarre otherworldly where you can't place why it feels so strange it's right. a little off it's somehow off, yeah. it's off but but an almost bad and bad kind of like i feel like one of the things that that also elevates this besides like the brilliant composition how we talked about the score the howard shore score yeah. sort of, like Amazing. like you said tom almost like the hitchcockian moments like it's very composed but then you have the two kind of the british actors who were yeah. these kind of giants of you right. know british television yeah. and, and theater so it's in a weird way too it, it elevates it to something where you're watching something with with sort of a gravitas to it which I, it I does think have with, that with it with the oliver yeah Reed especially that. comparatively to his other films i mean yeah i mean let's just talk about that for a second like uh full disclosure i'm not his biggest fan um, like love the ideas, but the execution is often kind of leaves me wanting, you know, like I'm not being cheap. Like I don't, he sucks. It's not like that's much more complicated, <laughs> but just like, yeah, there's always like scanners is a perfect example. We talked about it a minute ago. It's like interest, very interesting ideas are floating around, but the execution and the pacing and composition and just, well, like, they had to redub of, the main actor, you know, because it didn't quite work uh, out. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. And that movie can get very Canada. On yeah. your ass, <laughs> compared to the brood, and that's that. I'm glad you said that. Actually, I mean, like uh, this film somehow elevates uh, in his careers, early career especially, but even as being a Canada film. Yeah. But anyway, so it's like his first two films, and I, I really love them actually. Yeah, me but they're too. they're mainly just venereal disease horror, mm. you know. So like, meaning instantly he expanded so much further with his third film, third you know feature film, the brood. And uh, it's very exciting, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, the others like like really rabbit is sort of just like a cheap extension of shivers, shivers. Yeah. you know, like yeah. which is great. And I love I really love both of them a lot. It's just um, his world expands so much more in, in, in the brood that makes me and he, and, he, and he does a nice job with it. Like the ideas are there yeah. and there's more ideas is all I'm really trying to say. And it's personal. Yeah. yeah. 
and it's my well and that's the thing and whereas the others were just you're right they're they're more um not academic exercises but a little more cerebral cerebral in yeah. um yeah you know overall but this is very much a, a gut punch and even if it's not personal meaning like i don't know maybe he was going through a divorce in say 1978 i i, I don't know that we're but that. it winds up it sorry uh we're definitely going to get into that so yeah, yeah okay sure. okay great but all i'm gonna yeah. say is just like it's personal even just for the viewer because uh let's say you get uh you're the child of divorced parents mm -hmm. it is a punch in the stomach that has nothing to do with body horror or anything right it's crazy ideas you know like about like transgressive ideas it's just like a, a painful uh, film that has nothing necessarily to do with his usual tropes and uh yeah he just never really you know scanners it's not like that and Videodrome is a lot of big ideas on like a global scale, you know, like meta consciousness <laughs> scales. So yeah, it's it's special for him. Yeah, totally. I mean, Evan, did you want to talk a little bit about why he made this movie in terms yeah. of the his divorce? Because I don't know. Yeah, what's up? yeah, yeah, yeah. This is kind of crazy. I mean, so for, from there's not a ton out there, you know, about this, and he's talked a little bit about it, and some of the people that were close to him talk about it. So some of it's a little on the rumor and innuendo side of things, but. The idea that, you know, he was going through a bitter divorce, you know, uh, around the time before making this film that really. So a lot of the movie is personal in terms of him, you know, because he was caught in a custody battle with, I think, his first child and um, and, and was and was caught up in that. But one of the things that's really which I only learned recently, I didn't know this up until just a few days ago, but um, not only was he embroiled in that sort of custody battle, but he also had uh his his ex-wife had um ostensibly taken uh his daughter i think to california and she got involved in some sort of i don't know god really s like, like you know self-help cult-like cult yeah. movement Human yeah potential yeah. thing Human potential. so really his life was really paralleling what we're seeing in the group wow. and, then, and, and yeah but but then i think sorry one last thing is i i think he actually had to go out to california get the daughter right. bring her right. back all the way to toronto so like it's that so th this was all going on in his life and that obviously propelled everything you see in this movie sure yeah. you know and and that sounds like he was having a very uh, a not uncommon experience and maybe we could get into this now we we're talking about earlier um sort of the social context societal context i mean um you know it's like boomers be getting divorced <laughs> around this time and yeah. of course it, it reflects in film shoot the moon kramer versus kramer and and many others, and in, of course, in people's lives. The three of us are children of divorce, <laughs> for instance. Mm -hmm. yep. And um, it's just, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's it's a not unexpected pattern, especially for women, uh, you know, wanting to get out. Oh, the unmarried woman is another perfect example. Yeah, yeah. 19, yeah. The year before, 1970. Mm -hmm. But just, I guess, just that we could talk about, um, yeah, the, the larger social context. Like, there's his personal experience and how it informs the brood, but then there's a larger cultural context. And, you know, it's boomers, they're happening, they're youthful in the 60s, they're young, they're college age or whatever. And then they do, you know, pair up, maybe start a small family, and then someone's dissatisfied, or they're both dissatisfied, and they want other things, and the clock's ticking, like, you know, I, you know what, what am I doing? You know, midlife crisis can often bring um right you know, a divorce uh you know um and i think a lot of it is because they didn't feel a is trapped by social convention even just something like the church like you'd have to go through god 
in the past to get divorced <laughs> or, or, not, or maybe, and maybe you didn't get divorced, you know, like you were yeah. Catholic or something. Right. So, um, but then also just like, I think even more importantly, it's like, I want to be in control of my life and my life can be this big thing. Like choose your own parachute it is a very boomer thing. It's not bad. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just like, Hey, wait a minute. Maybe I want to have a series of relationships in my life. Maybe, you know, it's like, like, you know, I, I want to have options. I want to feel this again, especially for women, I would think, because that was very new, you know? And so, um, well, anyway, it's just, uh, this is one, this might be the best uh, reflection of that period. Uh, this film uh, with divorce, it's searing, you know? Yeah. Uh, that I, and Shoot the Moon, I guess, as we talk yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll definitely talk about Thank that. I, I'm going to throw to you, Ramy, here, but I just wanted to get one thing in on that, which yeah. is the idea of, of what you're saying, Tom. But I also think that, and one thing that this movie illustrates super well on a thematic sense with with all of that, the, 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 the way that divorce is becoming more prevalent in society around that time, but also the idea that it's the cycle of trauma and the cycle of abuse because right. what's happening here is you're 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 what's so brilliant about this movie is that you you're seeing how divorce is being passed down sort of sort of in, in a way because uh, you have uh, Samantha Eggers, her parents, you know, are divorced. They're both alcoholics. They sound like fucking nightmare people. They get divorced. Yes. And then they, of course, abused her when she was a kid. Um, and then there's a scene, we, if, Ramey, if you want to talk about that. But to yeah. me, it really also talks about how that's cyclical and it's coming well, down and, then and just being to, passed down. To wrap up what you're saying is yeah. that what's the last shot of the film? Yeah. Like yeah. the little girl Candy is like plantar warts <laughs> yeah. on her arm or whatever. You know, Tears. It's very yeah, chilling. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. That's true. And it's just, I guess, yeah. Fuck what I was saying in a way about the relative selfishness of boomers deciding yeah. to divorce or not. And we yeah. were talking about this a little bit before. If they have a family, you know, and people say like, if you are married and get divorced and you don't have a family, who cares? It's like, right. well, you guys broke up. But it's the family and the 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 um, almost inescapable trauma. Yeah. That's actually really in a way that, at the heart of the film. That's what this, yeah, I was going to say that exactly what you said. The film is about divorce, but the greater umbrella theme is trauma and, and how trauma gets passed down, it's intergenerational, and then how it manifests. And this whole movie is about manifestation of trauma, right? And so divorce is a symptom, like, like the sores are symptoms, like divorce right. is, you know, right. and, and the trauma is something that was in all of their childhoods that kept on getting carried on. Um, and I mean, if they're this movie, he does it in such a brilliant way because yeah, it's a monster movie. Um, but it's about how, how do you, how do you personify trauma? Right. And, um, the scene that I was talking about, I wanted to touch upon was when Candace is at her grandmother's house and she's looking through the old black and white family photos. Creepy. And she's, yeah, it's right. really chilly. And she looks at a photo and it's her mother as a little girl in a hospital bed, but played by the actress who plays Candy. So they look right. the same. And yeah. then it's the grandmother sitting on the bed, just staring at the camera with this kind of like ghostly stare at the camera. And Candace says, oh, that's my favorite photo. I love that photo. Why? And why was mommy always so sick? Yeah. And, and, and the grandmother is, you know, well, I don't know. She always had these um, sort of bruises on her body or these things on her body we don't know what it what it what it yeah. is and yeah, as yeah. she's telling that story which is she's rewriting history right um she she abused you know she abused uh, nola candy's nola. mom but as she's telling that story and rewriting history then you hear the banging of the broodling 
from the other room busting through the kitchen. And yeah, it's like, which, and is her, like, which is her daughter's uh, now unrepressed rage manifesting into little dis- disgusting little uh, creatures. monster people. <laughs> little monster <laughs> little, little <laughs> monsters. No suits. And, and, but just like to, for me, like that whole scene yeah, played until great. the grandma is murdered. Like that, it's a masterclass because you're, you, you, you have the allegory, but you also have the, the dread. You have the that horror yeah. you have the mm-hmm. beautiful visuals the aesthetics are so beautiful and it's yeah. seen from almost like a child's perspective like the camera's low a lot of the time and when you see the broodling like busting through and and like you said uh tom the orange juice gets knocked over the milk gets knocked over those things are, beautiful yeah like, can i just say this if it, it just i'm only interrupting because no, i'm a horrible impetuous uh please, jerk please, please. but just it reminds me of possession yeah yeah Oh, yeah. oh, which also has divorciness in it. Yes, yep. totally. It's, that's another divorce horror. But anyway, sorry. Get back to your thought. It's just, it's like um, consumer goods trauma is what I call it. And what yeah. I'm saying specifically about Very, possession is she's she's yeah. smashing the uh, her um, groceries. groceries against the wall when she has her first big freak out in the subway uh, tunnel. Oh, so it's it's it reminded me of that. It's like because then the, all of the um, that the uh, domestic yeah, exactly. um, uh, uh, totems yes. are being destroyed in the kitchen by the unseen yes. at first uh, uh, brood uh, manifestation, you know, that's like his best stuff. And I'm like, yeah. it is. Yeah. Hey, hey, David, where's that guy? <laughs> yeah. It's so like in yeah. your movie. So yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And it's, but, but, it's, it's, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Evan, go ahead. I was just going to say it's, it's also like, aesthetically you know like this movie when i when i I don't want to get too off subject but the idea of like this is so so quintessential late 70s color palette where you have the browns Mm. and the yellows and the oranges and you know all all of that stuff kind of coming together it's really and like and and and, yeah white and maroon and just that 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 white the the milk with the orange juice kind of swirling together i know really really incredible filmmaking you know it's awesome stuff but the the one thing i wanted to say just real quick on the tip of this is and we've kind of said it already but i don't want to be redundant but the idea of like you know this movie like the penultimate horror of this film right even though it has some pretty freaky set pieces like that one we're talking about right now you know wh- whether it's that or the dwarf you know broodlings uh, t- tearing apart oliver reed or fucking uh samantha edgar's biting into the rage birth sack we'll get you know into all or, that yeah we'll get into all this we're gonna double down on all that we're gonna do all that but all that shit it's in here but nothing <laughs> nothing is more terrifying and upsetting than that last shot in the movie where we feel that trauma yeah, of what tragic. Candy has. It's so tra- it's tragic horror tragic. and tragic horror, by the way, tragedy or AKA sad horror is a niche subgenre that's very underserviced and, and, and this nails I agree. sad yeah. horror. Well, cause very look at well, the little, look at the actress. Um, I mean, candy, like her performance is pretty brilliant. Like she's, yeah, traumatized from really the second you see her like when she's hugging him for the first time when he comes the dad comes to pick her up from the therapist retreat she just hugs him and there's a close-up on her face and she just goes like daddy you know it's like she's just she's she's shook and 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 the girl's face the whole time has this shell shock look and you're you're watching a little kid who's just being perpetually traumatized and you're kind of seeing it happen in real time and then after the um after the murder happens with the grandma, I was going to say there's another scene where um, the dad goes to the police, um, the 
goes to pick her up, right? And and there's the police psychologist who comes oh, yeah. Yeah. to talk to him. And this really, really struck me. This really struck me in a crazy way because the, the, the cop psychologist says to the dad, like, listen, she's, she's not saying anything. She, she, she went to sleep. She was in almost like a traumatic PTS fugue sleep. Yeah, she's almost like, a little too cool. She's too yeah. cool. Yeah. She obviously saw something. You have to get her to talk because she's going to repress this stuff. And when someone mm. represses that stuff, it manifests and you don't want that to happen. And then right. she, he said, I've seen five-year-olds with, with ulcers that look like they're- they Like a middle-aged businessman. Middle-aged yeah. businessman. And right. when I was a kid, a doctor said the exact same thing to my mom and me because wow. I had like really bad stomach problems. Holy shit. I had like I had like severe like reflux, like really bad stomach problems because I think of a lot of stuff that was going on in my in my house and I internalized everything as a kid. I just internalized it. There was a lot of turmoil and I would be throwing up. I had stomach cramps and I got that procedure where they put the camera down your throat. And I remember oh. sitting in the office as a little kid and them saying to me and my mom, her stomach looks like the stomach of a 50 year old trial lawyer, basically. Oh, because Jesus she's so, Christ. She's so stressed out, but she's not expressing it. And right. I, until the other day, like I, for, it's so weird. It like triggered that memory watching this. And Whoa. so, yeah, it was just interesting. And you hadn't thought of it. Uh, with previous brood viewings, no, I don't, you're know why, I don't know why, and it just well, maybe kind of, you repressed it. I guess I so. I, that it, so. that or it's like I That's think cray. it's yeah, <clears throat> like the age we are now is when that shit comes brooding up to the surface. Uh, do yeah. they say? But um, yeah, yeah j just to you know, Jesus. if 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 you're getting real, then I'm getting real here, and maybe we yeah, just need to have real. our own our own little <clears throat> yeah one fucking hour therapy session. Yeah, yeah, maybe <laughs> nice. we need to do that. Uh, Let's talk it out, yeah, guys. Yeah, so for me, you know, obviously, Tom, you mentioned in the show that we all are children of divorce. And, you know, I think that is a reason why this movie does resonate. I know, at least for me, you know, for in first seeing it, every time I see it, it, it holds that punch. And, you know, I was very young when my parents got divorced. I was like two and a half, you know, when that was happening. But um, from all accounts that I've heard, you know, from parents, my parents now, uh, my brother, you know, it was a pretty hostile environment you know because uh, divorce is ugly and divorce is messy and i think that this movie does definitely captures that really well too in terms of you know divorce is all about anger and divorce is all about displacement and you know um i i remember being like a young kid and being like you know hurtled around from one household to the next and going around to all these different places mm -hmm. and i think this movie captures that in a lot of ways with the broodlings taking Candy around. Yeah, I mean, candy's time. being carted around all over town. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It's true. <clears throat> I don't even have a, not to interrupt, but just like I don't have a fixed idea of where she lived. I was getting a little confused. Like, where does she live again? Because well, really later in the film, like, you know, her, her father says, like, uh, just give me a second. This is where Candy spent a lot of time recently. And I'm like, wait, where are we? Like, yeah, it's the attic. What's her, the attic. What's yeah, her, like, what is her home? You know? That's anyway. like the in-between house I think they have while they're being separated. But anyway, <clears throat> um, so for me, just being super young, like I knew it was a very tumultuous home life you know, happening around me, but obviously you're two years old. Like, you, you know, you don't you don't have memories of this stuff, but it seeps into you. <clears throat> that trauma still seeps into you. And I remember for a very long time, like I, I, I developed serious like uh, phobias where it would manifest in other ways where like I couldn't be around 4th of July fireworks, 
like loud bangs would actually i'd have to hide in blankets like in cars like a dog yeah Yeah, i couldn't handle i couldn't handle fireworks and thunderstorms in growing up minnesota a lot of thunderstorms so the idea of loud you probably were there there were probably like doors slamming yes i'm not even making that up you know like yeah. Doors slamming and, and of course yelling and stuff. God damn! Yeah. I know a hundred percent. I know a hundred percent. That's what was going on. So I had that, and I and I developed these phobias. They manifested, and I, you know, that just doesn't happen. You're not just born that way. You know, so these sure. things definitely manifested in the circumstances we live. So this movie hits really close. You know, for me, <laughs> uh, and 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 that's why. Yeah, it's and and I can tell too because what it's it's all about the kids. You know, it's all about how this is affecting the kids and how it. I know it affected right. my brother. Andy's the center of the film. It's yeah. the center of the film. And that's what but he no, nails interesting with this. Too, uh, another thing I was thinking about is like the broodlings themselves are these like little minions, right? That like the mom is birthing that are filled with her rage and they're going out to enact, you know, her, her vengefulness and her rage. But in a lot of ways, like the children of divorce do become the minions of their parents. Like, like because yeah. so often we were kind of, like almost like we were like sicked on the each parent. Like it's like we would kind of do the parents bidding, you know, like, yeah, I hate when that happens. And then we would actually, and taking sides, taking sides and being forced to take a side or being forced to be the messenger, you know, tell your father, I said this, tell your mother or, and then all of a sudden, like you do develop this sense of rage because like you are, all that is being transposed onto you like and you're just so sad that like they're so unhappy that like that, yeah. that anger fills up in you and you kind of do become a broodling like you're you're out <laughs> yeah. in the world filled yeah. with all this yeah. anger that wasn't in you before you know like and it's, it's confusing. Funny. it sounds like divorce is generally speaking again in the child's perspective divorce is not like a lack of something you know some people look at it as like Oh, you didn't grow up in a mother, father, two person household. So there's something lacking. It's like an aggressively negative thing that's punching the child in the stomach. Now, we're talking about this earlier. There are some modern thinkers who have felt that over the last 45 or so years, this time we're talking about that started then, um, maybe the choice, even if it's painful, but if these are two mature adults to say, hey, I have my problems. You, my spouse, have a problem. Let's take a deep breath and go, it's not about my feelings or yours. It's 100% about the children. And this one modern thinker was saying recently, just was a coincidence, I caught this, you know, we're watching The Brood, is just, um, what if people did that? And in all seriousness, and and then, because I think people connote, especially boomers, connote um, just stay married with um, like a, like a prison that's based on like Catholicism and like rigid social norms and uh, you know like homogeneous and uh, patriarchy and stuff like that. Maybe that's all true. But this guy was saying the second you make a family, that's number one. And whatever weird shit, equally because this is the hard part. This one wouldn't be easy. But like equally, both of you have a detente and go. We both hate each other, but let's just sort this out and make this where the two people in partnership making, not making, but um, um, raising children. And then when they're 18, get fucking divorced. And it was a very stimulating thought. And, there's a, there's, and I guess all I'm saying is it's interesting to see there's so much pushback on that. Not just because it's not easy and maybe close to impossible, but it's just like, like 
find your bliss, you know, like, (laughs) you know, like there's someone else out there. It's like, it's all about you, like find yourself, you know, and that's very boomer. And I'm not resentful of saying that shit. It's just complicated. And I think it hasn't been considered enough. And hearing just you two guys tonight and the brood talking about this is, is um, really interesting. Cause I, I, I really feel a little bit lucky. Like I said, I, I was two as well, Evan. And, um, my sister got it a bit. She's older than me. Yeah. And she yeah, got yeah. it. And she has some weirdness with my mom. And she was always kind of daddy's girl. And uh, she had kind of a weird, fucked up uh, teenagehood. But me, I was just like, I don't know. It's I live with my mom. And there's this weird guy I see every summer. You know, it yeah. was very abstract. <laughs> so I think I dodged a bullet because this sounds rough, yo. You know? Well, also, you were lucky that you obviously had like a healthy relationship with your mom. I did. Because, because I, know. I think that's also, it's not God. it's not black and white. Like, right. You, you, you yeah. Can be in so many situations where divorce or no divorce, you're trapped with an abusive parent. Yeah, so with, you know, with a parent who it's not like they both person. suck. They both suck. It's, it's not healthy. It's not oh safe, you know, and I feel like that this movie is also yeah. about child abuse in so many ways because it's yeah, she's Nola is has never resolved her issues. She's no. abusing her child. And then, Absolutely. you know, so it's like it, it's and then the divorce in this case is really him saying, like, I need to save my daughter. Basically, I need to extricate her from this situation because yeah. if I leave her with Nola for any more time, she's going to keep on hurting yeah. her and she's going to hurt her worse, you know? Well, and also she's, she's um, to speak to the, you know, the narrative of the film and again, the times, she's fallen in with um, a very boomer thing, an, an alternate father, uh, an, an asshole cult leader, shithead, manipulative guy, yeah. you know, in, in the form of Oliver Reed, you know, as the psychoanalyst. Uh, you know, mind fucker, which was more than common then. Yeah. And um, and like uh, maybe that's not a great way to go. Maybe it was better for her to reconcile with the actual father instead of looking for an alternate father. And so it's tough because it, it does. Uh, the male in the film is the hero, the dad. And the yeah. woman really gets it though in the depiction yeah. of this film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, She's yeah. a monster, literally and figuratively. A uh, L- little close to the mic there. That's uh, where. Tom, you can back Mr. up Tom? a little bit. Yeah, I changed yeah. my my position. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> what were we talking about? Movies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can we quickly just point out that one, if, if one, when you do cutaways, Evan, like the scene where the dad is taking the Polaroids of um, Candy's back, oh. and and she's in her room, and just the production yeah. design on that and the composition yeah. on that shot is so beautiful. You have yeah. like the ground. So like um like Sesame Street characters, you have the yellow yeah. carpet and the little girl holding looking at the flower. Peak late seventies. That yeah. is just like gorgeous. I mean that, yeah. that whoever the cinematographer is had a killer eye and really yeah. helped, I think, uh Cronenberg in this film. If we can, let's 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 get into the groove of the film a bit here. If you guys Yeah, we gotta mind. talk about the movie. And, and yeah. What I want to do is like a hard Kind of a hard, uh, you know, uh, right turn here. Um, just a little uh, talking about like set pieces, and this was my. Can we talk uh, about know, the teenage... first one? Can we talk about the first one? First one, or do you the first set piece with Oliver Reed, or do you want to okay, talk yeah, about? Yeah, well, let's let's get into some big scenes and start. Yeah. There, yeah. Okay. Let's just start with the first one, just for you know chronology uh, sort of purposes. The the movie. Another just great masterstroke here is that Cronenberg uh, opens the film with this great tight two shot of just Oliver Reed and this filthy scumbag guy, <laughs> Michael. Scumbag. No, he's not a scumbag. <laughs> he's a marshmallow with a beard. <laughs> he's horrible. 
He's a nightmare. <laughs> no, I love him. I love him. I'm just, I'm just shitting. Oh, and he's sure. obviously, he's a very troubled man. Um, but it's this amazing sort of like uh, encounter therapy, I guess, between the two of them. That's it's also very- kind of a theatrical setting. Like yeah. there's an audience yes. on a but, stage. But it, but it starts tight and then it pulls wide and then you're like kind of revealing like holy shit this is actually yeah this is a performance of some kind this is in front of an audience what the hell and you know i think obviously cronenberg has carved out that little niche you know where you know he he loves public demonstration sequences gone wrong yeah. you know that yeah. scanners, scanners you know whatever, that like, also that was drum. part of that whole movement right. at the time like that was part of that creepy yes human potential movement where they would sure. have these therapy sessions and then they, they would be in a theater I think people, they still do that. Yeah, they probably still you know would like Nexium or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah Landmark, Landmark, yeah. Landmark Forum. It's, a, it's probably in the book that all these manipulative shitheads read. You know? Yeah, exactly. But I, I think that sets it up in a really cool way because you're right off the bat, you're like, oh, we're in this world. You know, yeah, like, love you're, it. You're in the, the shape of rage. The shape of rage. <laughs> the um, I really need to get the uh, the primal scream book. Um. And Let's talk about it. We we gotta order this. Well, what's wait? What's the guy's name? I haven't written. Janoff. Yes, Janoff. Arthur Janoff. Yeah. Um, but Ooh, nice cover. Guy, yeah, even that cover. I was like, is that? Not wait, what's cover? going on? What am I looking at? <laughs> we lost Evan and got this horrifying, yeah. fantastic planet. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's 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 so ill, dude. Over. That's so that's some cool. prog rock. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. illin. So tell us um, what this is, though. Tell us what the the primal scream is. Well, so so primal therapy was the this dude Arthur Janoff in the in the 70s and it was all about the concept that all neuroses is coming from repressed childhood trauma and that the only way to cure that is to go back into those repressed memories relive that trauma and and primal screaming was a big part of that too like you know becoming the child again screaming at the mother and a lot of the role playing it was like built a lot of gestalt a lot of role playing yeah um and well you know uh john lennon's mother yes that song is actually a, a pop culture example of that practice because john would go to i was just reading about him like like uh, he, he didn't take Mick Jagger's call. I was reading a biography. Mick Jagger didn't take, uh, John didn't take Mick Jagger's call. He had a primal scream therapy session, you know. Like he, <laughs> him and Yoko, yeah, it was just funny to see that. Little, they got way you know. into that. They no, got him and Yoko, well, Mother, listen to Mother. Maybe that's yeah. our moment of zen. Oh, actually, that's, a, that's a really good is, idea. Is, uh, is um, that song Mother, listen to it if you haven't listened to it ever or in a while. Yeah. He is, the dude is straight up screaming. Oh mother i i'm getting chills i because that song like i you can hear the fucking primal scream in that song yeah um so yeah and then that that movement just like really quickly there was so in vogue freaky offshoot that then started so like the primal scream thing like it wasn't even that um insidious or corrupt like it, yeah. it was unorthodox and now people would not recommend it and it supposedly is not very helpful at all. Um, but the, the cult leader thing sort of evolved like out of that because it was so experimental and, and unorthodox. There was this other movement called the Center for Feeling Therapy. And any, if anyone can look that up in research, it's insane. And it became like the the biggest love the generic name. It, yeah, it, I don't I don't know that. It's so well. There's also freaky. a lot of this really comes from R. D. Lang. Not to get really non into this movie some more, <laughs> but just like I would recommend, just a footnote. You know, a further reading. Uh, R. D. Lang is is the progenitor of kind of all this, and uh, just as I guess a little 
like a bumper sticker of him is, you know, way early in the earlier 60s, he would just say, go into this room and go insane and yeah. cut yourself and shit on the walls and just like scream. And it was just um, just let it all, 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 all hardcore hang out. Uh, and so <laughs> R.D. Lang and he was not a cult like figure. And but then it did get, you know, the manipulators started coming in because yeah. they always do. Well, let money me and power. Let me let me let me and, start. And that's what we got with the that, that's what we got with the Oliver Reed character. Uh, that's what I'm trying to know. say. Let, let me let me quarterback as we're getting to that 20 minute right. mark. Is right. just th- just the idea of like you know things like you know Primal Scream and how you know obviously Cronenberg's taking what's in the zeitgeist at the time with all yeah. of these self help movements that are being marketed and being you know. Was a big one, yeah. Est, of course, and, and making it with the shape of rage, which is Oliver Reed's character's book, of course. And obviously, yeah. he's just just to touch on him in this movie. He's obviously brilliant, and you know, brings so much to this movie in terms of playing it that perfect balance of being super sinister, but also being very soft spoken. And then you kind of like yeah. he's on he's on yeah. the good people's side, kind of by the end, yes. you, yeah. You know, but um, he's uh, yeah, he's yeah. super well cast moment. So that that opening well, sets the scene. Well, that's a classic thing. The maker of the monster exactly. is killed by the monsters. Exactly. Right. And I think that's the theme that Cronenberg, you know, is doing so many times, obviously over and over again. Yeah. Like you said, in this film, there's something about it that just, it really delivers in a way where he's, um, he is not evil. Like you, you get a sense that he really believes that these therapies work, um, but then it gets out of control. He well, leaves- he just wants to take it as far as it can go. Yeah. Which, yeah. which mad geniuses do that. And then exactly. they start losing uh, ethics and, you know, like any kind of like perspective. And that's, yeah, you're right. That's is kind of where he wound up going. Like he painted himself into a corner with this situation. The, okay. Uh, yeah. Well, I was just say like, cause we're out of time, like kind of like bullet points on like film scenes, iconic film moments. You want to just tip, tiptoe through the tulips here on this. So sure. for me, my adult haunt, when I first finally saw the film as I guess a teen is uh, well, the big scene in the school huh. and it just had that cheap thrill where I was like, Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're going there. Like, that's what it felt like when I first saw it, because it was like, um, it's a school. It's little, little kids. It's a whole school a room full of them and they're having fun. And it's an open classroom, very progressive, modern one. You know, it's not like a yeah. restrictive, like a, you got to eat your meat, then you have your pudding. And it's, it's like a like, Montessori school. Like the wall. Yeah, yeah right. right. So it's very, it's very, it, it feels like a very nice environment. They seem like nice kids and, it's, and they're doing some creative learning, you know. But of course, these two little monster freakouts with uh, <laughs> toy hammers uh, beautifully done, again, Hitchcock-like, because you first see them, like in the birds, mm. you see the two little monster, little monsters outside the school, silently yes. staring at nothing and playing with the um, <laughs> swing to the tires. And that's totally Hitchcock, totally the birds, nicely yeah. done. And then, like, of course, um, well, anyway, cut to the short, long story short, it's just like, I was like, wow, he really went there. And in front of all the kids, the teacher's being brutally hammered to death. And I couldn't believe it because, A, it's brightly lit, which breaks horror movie rules. Mm-hmm. It couldn't be a brighter room. Colors, like you've all been talking about, it's an incredibly colorful location, incredibly colorful scene. And then he's adding red, red blood to the color. Lots and of all the kids are yeah. And all the kids are screaming. And there's, and there's almost a glee. I got to say, because David Cronenberg is kind of a... He's an edgy guy, obviously, right. but I feel like he had sort of a John Waters moment where he was a he little gleeful and did. having a real yeah. Because it's a, one of those, it's one of the big '70s set pieces of like 
they're going too far because there are kids present during that murder scene. Yeah. Like children, actors, you know, whatever. <laughs> and like, um, it really adds this like next level to it. And it's like, it's a go, it's like, oh shit, he went there kind of moment. And it's very iconic. And so, and putting the little, shout out that. and then putting the little drawing, of course, on, you know, yeah, the I know. Face. There's a, there's a sick humor. There's to sick it. humor. kind of Michael O'Donoghue, kind of John oh. Watersy thing. And he just had a little gleeful fun. There's also some kind of, insane there's a great close-up of one of the kids having this insane expression like you know like yeah, it's, yeah something like that were, close the up. kids were really upset like the, so the the actress who played kids, is that on the set yes yeah, so they were very sad like they were freaking out they were oh really, my god really, really? and like yeah, that the actress playing Candace talks about it that she had to calm them down. Oh, and like, it's just a movie; it's just pretend. Dude. And they were really having breakdowns, like David. Dude. Yeah, David. Child endangerment. <laughs> Trigger <laughs> yeah. warning. Wow. So rude. The seventies. <laughs> so, um, I mean, Wait. I guess I just. Uh, well, yeah, we're just running out of time. Just like so. <clears throat> can I can I throw killing. one scene in? Can I throw oh, one scene in? Killing. Um, yeah, it's crazy. School killing. Imagine that scene fucking flying today. No way. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so with everything going on in the world. Okay, so uh, in, 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 in old school one fucking hour tradition, it's not so much the new school tradition, but our, our old school tradition, we would sort of talk about a movie we love, but we'd also talk about one scene we don't like. So I'm oh, just going to wow. talk about... We did <clears throat> drop that. Yeah, We did drop that. I love so, that. I love, I love that. that. Go ahead. Okay. So one scene for me in this movie, it's actually a scene plus a thread. I wish I wish I could get in a time machine, go back and say, eh, maybe you don't need to do that at all, actually. Because it feels okay. like a producer's note, which is... Um, mm. The whole thread of the police autopsy, the alien autopsy of I was, the Broodling. I, my notes say alien autopsy. Alien autopsy, my, yeah. No, no, I totally... We both had the same reaction. I have like one sentence for that and then go off on that whole thing. It's that coroner is being way too casual about yeah. a human consciousness shattering <laughs> discovery yeah. like well obviously they don't eat and there's a sack with nutrition <laughs> that runs out sack. and it's like and now if you'll excuse me i'm going to shave my head and start walking into the woods because everything i've ever known and believed has been turned upside down no he's just like yeah you know in the sack and then like they don't really have teeth quite you know it's like well, yeah, yeah. So, i love that i thought that was nice and weird but yeah, yeah it is but it, it is it's, it's 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 one thing that like you know where it, it it's campy to the point of where it kind of brings the movie down when it's been going up. You know, it's yeah, been I ramping agree. up. Because you know what I thought? I thought when they die, like the, the, like the the physiology of these things. I thought when they die within like a half an hour, they shrivel up. Yeah. Because so, yeah. I thought because I'd forgotten that there's an autopsy, and I was like, he should have just done that. Where it's like, and then they're just like uh, a little green powder. Yeah, uh -huh. they're just, no, they're just green powder. Okay, or something. And I was just like, really? You still made them like these meaty, mechanically. But yeah. then like, like he goes with it. Like, he goes so no, far no, with it. Sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And then he also goes so far with it to the point of like newspaper headlines, like dwarf killers. I you know. know. Yeah, no, no, no. A photo. Yeah, yeah like, a photo. A, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree with you. It's like that's weird. He really he he went he doubled down on that. It was weird. Give me a second. Okay. I've got to shoehorn this in. Two seconds. Art then Hindle Ramey. plays the dad. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Then Ramy, but two yeah. seconds. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm done. It's just one last little thought. It's, I wanted to bring it up. Okay, Art Hindle, lead in the film, the father. He's the, uh, the first victim in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1978. He's great at being a late 70s guy with kind of like a, I'm a generic 
like soap opera man face, you know, like adult. And uh, he's great in both films in that context. But I was just thinking about Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you know, released within the year of, 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 of the Bird. Great and film. So they're both very great late film. 70s. What I mean is, for conversation star, they're both similar in this way. There is a concrete but fantastical element that is a manifestation of uh, uh, cultural and social uh, waves that are flowing through. You know, mm. like there's a lot, like, like, and they talk about it in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, like, like, no, your boyfriend wasn't replaced. A lot of people feel that way, like they're alienated from each other and they can't reach out anymore. And they start feeling like, who is this person I'm living with? You know, kind of psychobabble jargon. But what I'm saying is they both films deal with something. I, I wish more films did that. It was very interesting. Like, again, this concrete, but crazy sci-fi idea that um, fleshes out a more nebulous, abstract idea uh, about mm-hmm. problems with um, I- inner relationships with yourself and social relationships. I just cool. think that's a really cool way of movies to deal with things. And, I, and those are two great examples. And, you know, there's a very late 70s idea, and I, I wish there was more of it. I think oh, it works really well. So gone. Because now, now it's like, you know, with people... Influ- now it's like people are influenced by these movies, and they kind of... You know, yeah. they're they're not coming from a personal place. It's more of a reflection yeah. of the of the fandom of it now. So we've yeah, we're course. we're at they the, get bogged down bogged. in the yeah. literally the body horror for body horror's sake. So yeah. to speak. Ooh, I hate that. Uh Rami, there's, there's, there's just what there's another am I am I loud enough, Evan? Yeah, you're good. Just get get a little closer into that, Mike. <laughs> okay. Um another really scary moment is when the dad is confronting Nola and trying to keep the broodlings calm by not upsetting her where he, the final kind of before the final scene. Right. And he's talking to her and he's like, I love you. We can work this out. I understand you. And she's catching on like, you're lying to me. You're lying. And like, it's, it's really, really scary because it's also that thing of like being in a relationship with someone and then being so like terrified by them. Walking on eggshells. Walking on eggshells and then real and being really like also knowing like this person, like very fearful that this person is going to hurt like his daughter, right? And then she says something at some point like, I would rather kill Candace than ever give her to you. Incredible. That's that's real. You know, like yeah, that happens. Real. That and that happens a lot. Like in in a lot of cases where women Disgusting. kill their children, it's usually it can be in like before in a custody battle, or like they're afraid that the husband's going to come and Absolutely. then they, they men drive, do it too. Yeah, yeah, and they drive off. It just happened like last week. It happens Texas a bunch. Just, yeah, and there was a story in Connecticut. My friend was telling me about where Oi. the dad was trying to get custody and the mom drowned the little seven year old. Shot herself Christ. or whatever. But so Oi. like thinking about David Cronin. You know, he said, like, I want to make this film my answer to Kramer versus Kramer because I, I want to show how really painful this can get. And right. and who knows? You know, like maybe he did well, go through something like that where he was scared that something yeah. that brutal could happen. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But wasn't uh, oh, his quote something like, you know, this is my you know, my this is my answer to Kramer versus Kramer but more real. Like it's literally in the but quote. But more realistic. Like, he said more Yeah, real. more realistic, you know, which, yeah. you know, hey, man, th- this, you know, th- this movie does, like I was saying, it explores in such a more complex sort of way, like of, of all the different touch points of what divorce does to a family and kids and people around you and everything. And that's what's so great about it. I can't even think of another movie of his that is this multi-layered, yeah. you know. How do you, I know. How do you protect or your personal, children? Like you you know? said. Or personal. Or personal. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, being a parent is a fucking scary, scary undertaking. <laughs> you know, it's like you have these things, these children you love more than anything. And it's like, how do you protect them? You don't, you know, it's like, this woman is off her freaking rocker, you know, yeah. and you're scared. Or vice versa. Or, and, or, yeah. or both of you are, you yes, know. Totally, uh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the thing. And uh, um, the whole thing sounds terrifying, you know, like, uh, you know, like, and, and like that weird thing where it's like, isn't that impossible what you just described to me? You know, like, uh, yeah. and maybe it is, you know, like meaning like stay together through thick and thin for the children. You know, these weird things that are also human beings like you both are. Uh, and they just happen to be younger and you have to take care of them. And the gestation period for humans is insane because that involves the, uh, well, the, the, sp the size of the v female vagina and the, um, the human <laughs> vagina and the, uh, and the child's head. Uh, like we have this gestation period that's unlike any other. It lasts forever and ever and ever. It's meaning we have such intense responsibility of a child for so long because it's about head size. So it just feels impossible. You know, um, but know what the real? Oh, okay, go ahead. No, that's I it. A, yeah, I just had a thought. I think the real moral of this movie, the real moral of the story, it's not about to get divorced or not to get divorced or go to. The, it's deal with your shit before yeah. you have children. Deal yeah. with your shit yeah. before yeah. you have kids. Yeah, deal with, deal with your trauma if you can, or do the can. best you can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, try, try to. You know, what I, I think mean? any like, anybody would say like a psychoanalyst is just like don't because it's another form of like self flagellation and pressure like fix yourself it's yeah, just like yeah. can you get closer closer yeah closer. yeah can you work can, can you be working on it so and, something and with our parents generation and their parents generation is that unfortunately like they weren't given they weren't given those tools they really I agree i know 100 percent. And, no. and my i know my parents they they were together they were dating they lived together and they just were like all right this is what you do you get married okay then you get you have kids. It wasn't like, wait, are we emotionally ready? Are we no. psychically? Have, have we really approached like dealing with yeah. our shit? And and, yeah. uh, and no one really from that generation. There should did. be a, a childhood like a child a parenting license. Yeah, yes. you know, like, like you know, like you should. It'll never happen, but just there should be. It's like psycho psychological tests. You know, all kinds I of things. Totally mean, means testing. Like, can I you totally afford agree. this? Like, I totally agree. But I know? think that's I what this movie's about. I think it's about it's about right. carrying I'm that sure. trauma. And if you don't deal with that trauma, it's gonna it's gonna haunt you. And right? maybe you can't, and then maybe you should think twice. Yes. Because yes. uh it's just there's just another person involved. Forget yeah, child yeah. for a second. There's just another person, you know, and, and then think that they're a child and their development is like unrelatable maybe yes you had your childhood but can you really you're not there you know you have uh the hindsight and perspective that of an adult you know but um i yeah, can't I even can... remember what being a child was like honestly because it just sounds like a scary strange place for your head to be meaning like nothing's in context not very well it's all your it's all kind of garbled and yeah. out of focus yeah. you know so so things can blow out of proportion you know what I mean? And that's yeah. what another really bad thing. Like, yes, okay, it's like uh, uh, one adult might look at two adults fighting and going, man, they should fucking break up. Or like, Jesus Christ, what's her problem or his? And it's just like a child is just like, the big things that feed me are screaming yeah. and like they're turning into lions. It you doesn't know? feel <laughs> safe. And like, what, it's, it yeah, feels yeah. scary. And then if you're in an environment where you don't feel safe, like that will have repercussions for the rest of your life. Like, Absolutely. Because and this the, movie the, nails the that. The most primal emotion is fear and panic. Yep. Right. Yep. And this right and and this movie nails that. I mean, even with the 
you know, Candy, Absolutely. like she she's being brought around to all these places that should be a safe place for her. You know, the yeah. the Good the point. School. the the, the yeah. school, the grandma's house, you know, all these places. And yeah, that's where that's that. where all the horrible things are happening. To Actually, her. the problems are in the safe spaces. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Even worse, so, even worse it, than the no place is safe. But like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Exactly. And so, yeah. And, yeah. and I, I totally just want to concur on that about, you know, figuring your shit out before you have kids. My parents definitely, <laughs> I could say the same for mine. Um, <clears throat> sorry, mom and dad. But anyway, um, I do want to transition this. We're keeping it real on one fucking hour here, mom and dad. One fucking hour. Duh, uh, brood. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, let's spend the last few minutes we have together on this subject with something a little more fun. Okay. We've, we've gone. We've gone to the darkness. Okay. We'll give you guys a minute for fashion. Fashion but minute. <clears throat> I do want to talk about the tax shelter system as well because it's kind of fun. So. Okay, Ramey, you have a minute on fashion. Go. I mean, the the primary colored snowsuits are <laughs> iconic. They never go out of style. I have many of them, and it inspired my entire you know, fashion puffy. aesthetic. Yeah. You know what's, and, you know and, what's and, amazing? And the colors, but also the little um, pointed hat, hoodie, uh, jumpsuity, uh, yeah. action pajamas. In, the, like in the pastel. Like, yeah, two new, different colors. Right? Aren't all my pajamas pastel? I, I I just want to say that I it, it's it's amazing that this week we've done the brood, last week we did personal best. That is your fashion identity. Are those two movies? I just want to. It's, it's kind of amazing that that's how it worked out. Yeah, so, great look. Uh, great look. The fashion of the brood is amazing. I'd love to see a brood fashion line. Uh, the always. brood collection. I, I always wanted to do that. Really? Yeah, yeah it's really great. Collection. All right, <clears throat> we got five minutes really left. Great. Broodly amazing. Duh, brood. Okay. So um, this movie, uh, among other early David Cronenberg movies, are part of the Canadian tax shelter system, which I always find to be really fascinating in the context of film history because it explains a lot of the reason why we got so many fucking weird-ass movies from Canada. Um, And so uh, one of the things is that, just so you know, the Canadian tax shelter system um, was basically at a period of time when Canada was trying to ramp up its productions. Uh, They gave an insane incentive where you could get 100% tax write-off for financing movies, okay? So this whole thing sort of started with at the end of a fiscal year, whatever they're getting into the tax time, you basically have like doctors and lawyers or like super producer people, people with money to burn basically to try and get this write-off. Okay, who wants to make a movie? Who wants to make a movie? And a lot of the times it would be freaky people like David Cronenberg or people with half-baked ideas and unfinished screenplays. You know, yeah. just like whatever it is, let's like go. Incredibly un uh, um, unmarketable film ideas. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's many exactly. examples of that. It's like who, who's yeah. got a movie? Uh, we'll do it. You know, and so um, so that's how a lot of these movies would get made. Now, of course, you know David Cronenberg broke out of that system and he became very successful. But there were yeah. a lot of weird ass movies weird. that were not made for civilians, especially civilians outside of Canada. Uh, so a lot of these movies actually didn't get distribution. So they were they're actually for making, anybody. They're making for nobody. <laughs> so yeah. they were making too many movies. They actually made so many films that they couldn't be sold. And also it was like crazy because you, you look at 1979, I think, which was like actually the peak year of the tax shelter yeah. era. Uh, just, just this is a crazy perspective. 77 films were made that year in Canada compared to Hollywood's 99. That's fucking crazy. Wow. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, yeah. So, and wrong. 
Yeah, and an average budget of around $3 million. So a lot of these movies getting made, some of them shelved forever because they weren't made for civilians. But you did have a lot of really interesting movies coming out of the tax shelter system. It gave oh, us David sure. Cronenberg. As I said, it gave us My, uh, uh, My Bloody Valentine, which is awesome, Prom Night, Meatballs, Porkies. It gave us also... Um, Little hidden gems like uh, Murder by Phone, Tom. I don't know if you're a Murder by Phone guy. Uh, AKA Bills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure, exactly. I love that movie. And, oh, there's uh, tons. Yeah. Alan Moyle's uh, The uh, Rubber Gun. You had some like really cool, just interesting little gem films that came out of this that would never be made under any other circumstances. And what's what? Well, because they're, they're born, they're not born of the marketplace, but they have this government subsidy birth, you know, which is um, which just is odd. I mean, yeah, because yeah. if it's marketplace driven, there's there's always a you know like a foreground concern. You there's know, checks and balances. There was no checks and balances. There's no right. checks and balances, right. and what's what's yeah, very unique. Yeah, and what's really cool about it is that these movies are extra weird because yeah, they don't have to you know the, the markability is not even a thought in this process. So they're weird at the expense of the taxpayer, and that, my friends, is. A very singular, wild moment in film history. Yeah. And that's why you get movies feeling, like The Brood. I have a feeling that's a very Canada thing. Like, yeah. I don't know Canada that well, but I feel like that's like, only a, only Canada would do that. Like, Well, you know <laughs> why? You, you know, well, I, I mean, I, I definitely rag on Canada a lot because a lot of the TV shows I produce happen to be out of Canada. But one of the Boy. things, um, uh, you know, about it, a is um i think that canada does have i'm gonna get heat for this but a little bit of a you know inf inferiority because you know towards america and that you know I'm sure because they don't yeah. want the they don't want the people of canada consuming too much american content so they invest heavily in <laughs> oh, that's canadian right. canadian content that's and, right. and no that's the other thing there were dictates yeah. that the theaters had if everything we're calling this correctly no no there are dictates so it's like you have to have 40 percent u.s film yes 60 percent canadian film so and it doesn't you, matter if no one shows up to the canadian films and everyone shows up to the u.s ones yeah yeah it's, uh, so, it's social engineering yeah it is so 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 what's interesting is if you go to canada right now and turn on the radio you're driving around you turn on the radio you know like a, like the rock station you know you'll hear like maybe one song you know then another song you know then you'll hear some like total you know doofus band that you've never heard of april wine yeah well no that would be cool but like you're, you're hearing like you know <laughs> you the know weirdest I mean. like who are these doofuses and why are they on the radio I know what you mean. You know, like, naked ladies? yeah right yeah. exactly well, th well they, they all but i know what you mean yeah yeah anyway uh i, 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 I know what you're saying uh, last, so I, I think, um, I think as like a baby shower gift. No, maybe not a baby shower. Maybe a wedding three, shower gift. Give two, people the brood to learn, educate yourself. Yeah. And okay. <laughs> recommended therapy tool. Yes, yeah. recommended therapy tool. We yeah. did it. That we, was easily. Wow. Uh, the proportions of non-specific film talk. Uh, was was bigger than um, I think any other time, but it was great. It was very rewarding, hey. and it was worth it. it was, yeah, it and great. that's that's what the movie commands. Great. I mean, the movie commands exactly. us to examine our childhoods and our traumas, yeah. Yeah. and to yeah, yeah, you Don't can't, you can't. It. Yeah, There's like, like else to talk about. Yeah, what the hell are we gonna talk about? Like, uh, yeah, you know, we uh, had used a lot of blood yeah. there on the floor, and you know, yeah, exactly. That's the heart of the film. But we were also, I, I'm glad. I mean, I guess we're doing a Monday morning quarterback here, but just like. <laughs> The, the, little, the thing I'm also happy about is lauding him with a real achievement and getting a little granular about it, 
And I'm glad that all of us individually and together were highlighting certain moments of some really stellar filmmaking. That's all I'm going to say. 100%. And and I also hope that to Monday morning quarterback, what we just did, I also hope that people don't go walk away thinking that that we're we're, we're like haters, like like Cronenberg haters. You know, I. No, no, no. Yeah, because I like Shivers and Rabbit. I'm totally with you. I love it. Videodrome, like fucking Videodrome's a good time. The Fly's a good time. You know, oh, that's uh, fine. the fly is the fly is the fly is a sad horror. That's sad, some sad horror. But then too. there's but then there's crash. I know. And like, naked lunch sucks. Like you know. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I, yeah. I, I like Dead Ringers though. I, I, I Dead Ringers is some cool shit. That harkens back to the first three kind of. It's yeah. it's complicated. It's yeah. just and I'm just a little. I'm almost just curious because yeah. like I jokingly said earlier, Monday morning quarterback was like, hey, the guy with the milk in the. Uh, Juice Bill, can, can you get him on your new film? <laughs> David, like, where's that guy? You know, because it's too good. It's yeah, just, yeah, it's yeah. it's as good as, like, anything. Yeah. Um, also, Tom, kudos to you on on the sort of the birds, like, picking up on the birds reference. Yeah. When the, right. When the schoolyard shot, because, like, that mm-hmm. is very reminiscent of that scene. It's very this birds. movie, uh, yeah, I mean. The, and, and the playground and you see the birds on the gym set or whatever and absolutely and and he doesn't make it easy you, you're not something feels a little off in their behavior and you're not sure that they're two horrible humanoid monsters yeah you know what i'm saying but it's all right off. we're on borrowed sorry, time here sorry. we're on borrowed time we're doubling, uh, yeah we're doubling yeah. down <laughs> we're okay. doubling down uh, double dipping, but hey, man, that was that was great. I'm really glad we got to do this movie. Me too. Yeah. Really cool. Uh, so, Ramy, thank you so much for for taking over yeah. for these past great two weeks. Uh, great to have you. Uh, also, the custody battle of one fucking hour. Uh, Marcus <laughs> is coming back. Marcus is coming back to stay with us. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, Remy has to go back. Yeah. To her, uh, yeah. To her father. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, Marcus will be back next week. We're gonna have a big uh sort of uh, c- coming home party for, for for marcus uh on that note though normally we have uh the sort of we've, we 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 basically know what next week's movie is going to be that's going to be tba for right now because we don't know we're gonna we got to confer with marcus uh as he yeah. comes back from his uh ireland uh isn't he going to like portugal too like his portugal ireland i think portugal and uh, ireland misadventures yeah he hasn't gotten back to me at all he's like lost he's his off. sauce over there yeah he's, he's great gonna, good for him yeah, Good he's going to come back like, you know, fresh like freshly ayahuasca'd. You know, he's going to come back like, with new new light. Like speaking uh, Portuguese. Yeah. <laughs> Cornrows. Yeah. Yeah, like he'll, he'll, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, but uh, so so we want to do something goofy and fun. Um, yeah. So we're going to figure out what that's going to be. Um, yeah. And then uh, with, and with so, him. Yeah. With him, yes, with him yeah. on this show. So we will, we will, uh, we will let you know what that right. uh, one one fucking hour is going to be. Stay tuned on the Instagrams and the Twitters. Um, but uh, this was a hell of a show. Uh, you know, we went to some some real real places. I'm glad you guys joined us for that. And uh, I guess can't leave you guys hanging without your moment of zen. So we will get to that right now. Ramy's favorite thing in the world, right? Isn't that right? You you yes. you absolutely love the moment of yeah. Zen. All she right. insists. Yeah, Evan and I don't even like it. But we don't she's like just it. Like, where's yeah. moment? Like, yeah, where's moment? Yeah. Uh, all right, everybody. So uh, we will see you next week. Have a good rest of your weekend, week, whatever it is, and we will see you soon. All right, bye, everybody. Ciao. 
motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. Mm-hmm.